And I'm such a believer now that that all of the good and the bad stuff that happens to us, we need to talk about. Yes, because absolutely. it's that generational learning to me that that brings self awareness that stops us from bad patterns that we pass down through generations of families. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of the things that can come from internal pain that hasn't been voiced. You know, we get to those numbing mechanisms. We, we, people, you know, that that's to me, you get to alcoholism and families, you get to, you know, just, just running from the, your story mm-hmm. when really, when we tell our stories, people end up more often than not, you end up seeing someone that says me too, instead of, yeah, oh, I can't, believe you did that. It's- Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves to think, question, and synthesize wherever your curiosity takes you. In today's episode, we are joined by Wendy Jones. I had the opportunity to meet Wendy while at an in-person training event with Compete to Create in Seattle. While there, we were able to connect and share a little bit about our own stories and what we are doing to connect at a broader level. In this conversation, it becomes clear just how optimistic and striving for connection Wendy is. A little bit of background. Wendy is the founder of a blog called The Optimist Journal. She used the power of her own story, which includes surviving divorce, parenting four children, overcoming PTSD after her son's near drowning almost 10 years ago, and parenting a child on the autism spectrum as well, to reflect, heal, and thrive. Wendy believes that we all have to make a choice about whether we react to life circumstances or create them with our mindset, practice, and consistency. This is really apparent in this conversation. She, We kind of just dive into it, to be honest. We get on a phone call and it was just off to the races. There's no preamble, no warm-up, no anything. And I think that shows the authenticity which Wendy portrays through her own life and it's really fortunate for me to be able to connect with people like Wendy here. And in many ways, the reason to go to an in-person training event like I did with Compete to Great was to meet people like her and connect and then also highlight what they're doing. So with that, everyone, please enjoy this incredibly wide-ranging conversation with Wendy Jones of The Optimist Journal. They feel kind of stuck because yeah. they're, you know, in that in that corporate gig and they're mm-hmm. you know reliant on you know there's a lot of there's perks but you hear yeah. a lot of it at, this, it at my stage it's really funny that you're like echoing that because the podcast that's going to go live this week i sat down with one of my friends and we talked about fight club and that that oh. movie is like reminiscent of that whole thing of like the the promises of getting done with college and then you realize that by the time you hit your middle 30s it's not every you don't you're not doing as great of things as everyone promised you'd be doing by the time you you know made it in the real world so to speak. Yep, that's so true. You kind of have to you gotta you gotta find that path on your own, right? It's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of crazy that you know a lot of the stuff that I've been exposed to through podcasts have helped shape my viewpoints on these things. You know, I wouldn't have noticed or understood these things at any level had I not been exposed to all these different ideas. And then now by extension, reaching out to people to hear these stories. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's the great thing about podcasts is that you, there's just like a whole network of like untold stories out there that are mm-hmm. making their way out. You know, it's like such a different avenue than, you know, your traditional media. But I, I literally dropped the 24 hour news cycle and went mm-hmm. to podcasts. About, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I just, and, and I still like, I'll get my little NPR news update or mm-hmm. the wall street journal news update, but I listen to podcasts. Like I used to listen to the daily news Yeah, and the daily news depresses me and podcasts. <laughs> yeah. The opposite, so yeah, absolutely. I was actually just talking to a friend about that where it's like the attention span we have is limited. And if you're just plugged into the standard news cycle, it's always negative. So like if, yeah. if you can drop it, then you can put information in that you care about. And then if it's like worth knowing or big enough news, someone's going to tell you about it in like your totally. normal working well, yeah, world. Yeah. I mean, if something huge happens, it pops up on your phone, right? I exactly. 
Yeah. So you'll be aware yeah. of it somehow. And then you just like, if you want to go deeper, then you can go do the Google from there. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But other than that, I, I don't really have too much of a plan. I mean, I read your, your bio and a couple of your blogs and things like that. Uh, cool. But, but I think, I mean, just reading your bio alone, it's more than enough to kind of go and unpack there because that is yeah. not not a traditional bio by any means. Um, no, it's not. And, you know, I've, I've basically, you know, as I have started the Optimist Journal, I've basically been trying to go through and professionalize what life has taught me, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what I'm what I'm good at. Um, I really, you know, I've enjoyed being a parent, obviously, and there's mm-hmm. just so much, be- there's so much synergy between like teaching, parenting, coaching mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it, it lent itself when I, you know, you can sit there and go, gosh, I've just been a mom for 20 years almost, you know, <laughs> and I've stayed home and, you know, you can feel like you've been out of the race, but then when mm-hmm. you realize, you know, what you've, the, what the product that you've turned out, which is my kids and the relationship I have with them now and the things that they're doing and the things I've taught them and then using those stories to, you know, generate the lessons that, that I've learned and Mm -hmm. I love to write. So I I was always a journaler and then I turned that therapy into a blog and, you know, it just, you know, it's it's just kind of grown organically out of Mm -hmm. what I think, you know, what, where my, my talents lie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've just, you know, used my athletic, you know, athletic career and then my parenting and turned it into you know, helping other people grow with mm-hmm. using my story, which is what, you know, life coaching is kind of all about. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like for me, the first thing that kind of comes to mind there is just like this idea of optimism, right? Because like the thing, right. it's, it's like a, I even had a really long conversation about this the other day. It's like this negativity bias. That's the psychological term of it, right? Yeah, right. Our, our brains are, are <laughs> naturally trained to look for the negative, right? Right. Um, I was lucky enough to have parents and um, my dad is a huge optimist. Okay. And so a lot of that came from him. I mean, you never, he, you know, no matter what he was up against, you know, there was always a chance. And he taught me, he, he had a career, long career in politics. And, um, you know, they were, you know, always, you know, building bridges where you didn't think you could. And, um you know, winning elections, losing elections, but there was always a chance. And no matter what he was doing, he would go about it with pure optimism and he'd back it up with hard work, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that's the thing that people don't talk about enough is with optimism. It's not blind optimism, right? I mean, (laughs) say, oh, it's going to work out. It's the work that goes into identifying the goal and then, you know, breaking that down into the Mm -hmm. little steps that you absolutely have to do. But that optimism is what gives you the energy to do the things you have to do to make things work. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to go about life any other way. And I, <laughs> I realized that even when stuff got really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you know, there's just like I, can, I just have always known how to find a silver lining. And I've always thought on my worst day, well, tomorrow will be better. Yeah. And, you know, and that'll give you, you know, I've never had a day where I, didn't want to get out of bed. And I think it's that optimism that, that brought me through, you yeah. know, a lot of tough things. So that's awesome. So yeah, that's where the <laughs> journal, that's where the, the, the title, you know, I said, I was like, what do you call a blog? And mm-hmm. somehow that one that stuck and I checked it out and the URL was available. I'm like, okay, I'm going with that. That's really surprising so, that that one's actually even available. There's I know <laughs> it was only like three years ago. And I, I, I yeah, I was wow, so the blog isn't even like that old either. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I actually just this weekend, I'm like, how many blogs have I written? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pushing towards 100. Okay. So I'm, I've got about, I think I was at 94 this week. I publish one every Sunday. Okay. And at first I started, I just would do like write when I felt like it mm-hmm. and let it kind of grow from there. It's and funny then, how that all, like everything starts super slow. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I do think, I think there's something to that because if you have the luxury of, you know, like you have your day job. I, you know, I, if you have the luxury to learn as you go and see where it leads you, I think, you know, you, you figure things out as, Mm -hmm. as, as you're going. Right. So it's nice that 
I didn't, I didn't have to charge in and, and like, like you I didn't, didn't give yourself goals or deadlines, like impo- yeah, self-imposed you know, deadlines. Well, no, I, I, now I'm starting to do that. Um, as I finished my life coaching certification and then Got I'm working it. on, okay. I'm, I'm actually doing that precision, precision nutrition certification. Oh, cool. that they, yeah. So I'm going to add that cause I've always been really interested in nutrition and mm-hmm. health and wellness. So I'm adding that to the life coaching component and you know, I've learned a ton on that Finding Mastery podcast, and yeah, I love that podcast. That, <laughs> it's so good. And the way it blends like goal setting with the psychological components of how to accomplish those goals—that's mm-hmm. what I love about it because it's not—it's just not all mechanical. And and yes, that the nutrition. So they, you know, that he he is. I, I listened to that Krista Scott Dixon mm-hmm. um, podcast, and the way that she went about that is basically a Finding Mastery template for nutrition yep. right so it, it it incorporates all the psychological side which there's so much psychological um component to <laughs> the way we eat what we eat why we you know why we eat why we don't eat mm-hmm. you know and how do you motivate people because I, I come across so many people in my life that are like how do you you know how do you work out with four kids or how right. do you you know what and, and you realize like whatever is important to you you will make time for mm-hmm. right so I've always worked out. I've always had a, you know, I've played sports. And then when I was done playing sports, I figured out pretty quick that I didn't feel good if I didn't work out. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It's basically, you know, like most days it's the first thing I do, you know, besides a little morning routine. Like Mm -hmm. when I get out of the house, usually my workout is the first thing I do. Okay. And I don't even, and you realize like what you do. What what does it look like usually for you? Just a Uh, duration or. It's, you know, it's funny because um, I love to play beach volleyball okay. and it's just recreational at this point, but it's, I, I, that's probably two mornings a week. I'm out there for two to three hours playing beach and then I love yoga. I got my yoga certification uh, about a year and a half ago. And so on the days I don't play volleyball, I go to yoga and then I also go to the gym and lift weights and do a little cardio and that kind of thing. But yeah, that it's, it's. Impair, it's more important almost to my brain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important for my body and I, you know, you want to look good and feel good, but it, what it does for my brain is it's paramount. Yeah. Actually. It, yeah. I, it, I echo that and I come from the complete opposite end of the spectrum of why I even got into it. I'm, and yeah. Eng- yeah, I'm an engineer by by training, and I've always had this affinity for intellect and books and whatnot. But then uh-huh. as I kind of finished my or rather had gotten into my career early on, as I'd mentioned when we had met in Seattle, I have always had my job and my school were like in parallel. Like I was as a tech technician right. in my field and working at the same time. But I got to see my coworkers who were like the first time ever, like, you know, in their thirties or forties or so that were professionals. And I got to see they were sitting behind their desks basically all day, you know? Right. And I'm like looking at them and I'm like, I don't want to be that one day, or at least not in the sense of like, I don't want to let just sit behind the desk and slowly expand my gut right. and then get tired and <laughs> annoyed yeah, no, yeah. and stuff and like that. the older you get, the harder it gets. So like yeah. starting something when you're older is way harder than, you know, if you've been doing it all along. Right. Right. So good for you. It was, and it was, it's part of the reason why I, all of this exists. I mean, I would never have gotten into nutrition and health and all of this stuff yeah. had I not given myself the idea to work out. Because up until that point, I've never been athletic. And since then, I have completed three Tough mutters <laughs> and that like so and just done an impossible things, or at least a younger version of me would have said that's impossible and laughed at who I am today. You know, and been like, no way. I would have brushed it off like it was a joke. So it's, yeah, I get it. And I think it's really cool that so you're- So what do you think? What do you think changed your mindset? Like- um, Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a voracious reader and, and just this kind of person who's never- I don't back down from challenges, but I kind of had just fixed my mindset, right? If we're going to go back to like Carol Dweck and stuff with mindset, okay. I, I had huh? just kind of thrown in the towel and said, well, I'm not the athletic type. I can't be that. Yeah. Um, but then I had hit, I was about 21, I'm 26 now. Uh-huh. And we had, I just kind of started looking around and my initial thought was like, oh, well, if you're going to be like a weightlifter, cause that's where I entered into the, the athletic world again. I was like, well, that's just kind of like meathead. Like it doesn't take smarts to pick up heavy weight and I'm not that strong. So I don't, 
it just didn't connect, right? But then I yeah. started researching. I did. I took it the engineering route. I just started trying to find information, and I went to bodybuilding.com and just became this analyzing the science of what it means to train your body, basically. Yeah. Biomechanics. Yeah. I, I did the engineering route on how to engineer your body, basically. And, I love it. <laughs> and so that took me down the long road, and then I didn't really... I didn't put too much self or too much on myself initially. Like I didn't worry about nutrition. I didn't worry about um, like ego. I checked it at the door is like, I like to tell myself, I just said, whatever you did before, it doesn't matter now. And I just kind of signed up and said, this is what I'm doing now. I am a person who works out. <laughs> there you go. And then I gave yeah. up pop. That was the one thing I did do nutrition okay. wise. I gave up drinking sure. pop. I used to drink like six cans of pop a day. And, oh uh, wow! Yeah, so and did you just give it up cold? Turkey? Cold turkey. Like, I just woke up one morning and said, "I'm done." <laughs> and I love, I love the Midwestern. I like, I have a ton of um, cousins in Nebraska, and mm-hmm. we call it soda in right. California. You guys call it pop. I love it. <laughs> as soon as <laughs> I said it, I was wondering. Like, I was wondering if you're going to mention that because I, I was thinking that to myself. I was like, "We all you're called Coke or Popper." <laughs> yeah, well, no, but I have, like, I grew up, that like, my grandparents always called theirs from Nebraska, and they always called it that, but I actually don't drink soda either. I probably gave it up about, I don't know, less than 10 years ago. Okay. I was never, like, huge on it, like, but it's just, it's an easy one to, yeah, it was an easy one to kick out, so. Drinking calories is, is like, the sneaky thing about dieting, I think. We, we don't, no, absolutely. we don't really realize it in. You probably would understand this more now that you're taking like these nutrition courses with precision nutrition and stuff as like this idea for me at least is we we keep talking about diets like what diet is the best diet between vegan, yes. paleo, keto, yeah. carnivore, whatever, you know, pick your flavor, right? It's like ice cream. Right. And I'm just like this is such a like it's not a stupid argument, but I think it's just it makes a battleground over something that shouldn't be because it's like the diet wars if I'm going to be cheeky about it because yeah. everything you, those people are doing, they're winning as compared to the standard American diet. And I'm just like, it makes me want to pull my hair out because I'm like, we, if we just all like realize that we're just trying to be healthier, then everyone's winning. We should be high-fiving each other. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and taking little pieces of everything because it's different for yes. everybody. And and I that's the cool thing about the precision nutrition thing is, you know, they just encourage you to, they give you all the science, mm-hmm. but they also just say like, no coach has a fixed mindset right. on what works for, you know, different things work for different people. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also just reading this book called The Inflammation Spectrum that just oh, came cool. out. Yeah, I, think I just saw that pop up. Yeah, that's a, it's, 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 I've just kind of picked it up this way. It just came, I think, Friday. So I, I was flipping through it this weekend and um, it's so much about, because inflammation is such a key to, you know, I, I actually learned about it because I think I mentioned my, my little guy is on the autism spectrum. Yeah, you did. So, you know, that is so much about inflammation in your gut, in your brain, and um, how it affects your nervous system. And so I started learning about inflammation in the body like 12 years ago because mm-hmm. um, I knew from the get-go that something was different with him. And same thing, I'm, I kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a researcher too, but mm-hmm. by I, I did it mom style at right. first, just like the internet books. I have so many books that I've read on, you know, the autistic brain and he's very high functioning. Okay. So, um, it's almost like a, we deal with a lot of attention issues and stuff like okay. that, but that's inflammation, you know? So figuring out what to feed him then made me learn, we all have different, you know, they're not necessarily allergies, they're, they're sensitivities. And okay. how, do, how do each of us feel better? Where, like, the funny thing, like, when, he, when we had him tested, you know, he could, most, most Americans, they say, oh, dairy is inflammatory. Well, I, I have a lot of Scandinavian blood. And the doctor said, you know, the inter- she said, is he Scandinavian? And I said, yeah. And she said, Scandinavians are some of the only um, DNA that, that can tolerate dairy, like in mass amounts and not, and not have it cause trigger an inflammation. Mm-hmm. So there's just, there's so many different things to the way we eat that it's just going to be, it's going to be different for, yeah. for, for me and figuring out what that is for each person. Like you have to be very self-aware, right? And if you're interested and want to go through that process, you know, we can figure out how to make our bodies feel mm-hmm. 
really good. But then, you know, there's always that balance of like, well, life is meant to be enjoyed as they're like, (laughs) you know, I mean, you can go overboard. But it, you know, that, that again is going to be different for every person. You know, some people really enjoy that. Some people want to, you know, have it be more social and pay the price. Yeah. I I think it's hard. It's a hard balance. Like, especially for someone being my age, I'm pretty young still. So a lot of my friends still like to drink a lot and, or do the partying thing. And I've never been that kind of person. And so when I'm over here wearing my two wearables, I wear both or a ring and whoop. And I talk about like, yeah, it's going to, I can't drink too much or it's going to like destroy my recovery for the next day. And they look at me, go a little cross-eyed. I'm like, I'm it like, does make a difference. I'm like, it right. makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I just started wearing the aura ring and oh, cool. I actually, um, I have a whoop strap too. And I gave one to my friend mm-hmm. and it's interesting. You're saying you, so you wear both of them. I wear both of them just because oh. I, I went nerdy geeky and I was like, yeah, I want it. Well, that's, what I was curious about is like, it, are you finding a difference in like, since you're wearing both of them on your body, like, yeah. does, does the data match up? So it matches up for the most part, the uniqueness okay. of the ring. So the ring values sleep a lot heavier than it, than the whoop strap. So, okay. so it weights a lot more on like total sleep time. Um, okay. And it yeah. does measure body temperature, which is interesting. That's like the yeah. one metric that you don't overlap on. And, okay. and, so I was, I had a point where I got like sick cause I was finishing up my senior design project and the 24 hours before I actually felt like crap, my recovery dropped off the cliff. Like it was the craziest thing ever. That I was like, so interesting. yeah, I, like I woke up one morning and I was like, whoa, I've never had this low of recovery on both wearables. And I was like, what's going on here? And all of a sudden the next day I felt like crap and had to call in. And then like four by four days later, I, I, it finally rebounded my HRV and resting heart rate had kind of gotten back to normal. And I was like, whoa. Oh, I'm so curious. Cause I pride myself on not getting sick very often. Yeah. Like I feel like my have like a bulletproof immune system. because <laughs> I don't I've, get sick like almost ever. So that's like a rare thing for me. Yeah, and then it's it's um, it's interesting because I did read about that, and they said it it, it would predict mm-hmm. before you before I, you even know it. I had no idea that it was going to do that, and then I was like, "What the crap!" Like it was one of those like aha moments. And then yeah. the other thing I've noticed is now that I'm out of school and have a not as much on my plate at a like weekly or monthly basis, like you know, school's a four month period of time. Um, right. As soon as I finished school, my HRV and resting heart rate, they, they went in positive directions as I finished school. Like you can, I look I, at my data like six months back as school ended like in May and I was like, oh my God, my recovery got so much better over the last like four months. And I was like, what the, like, I had to like think about it. I'm like, oh, right. I finished school. And then like all of a sudden I was spending more time working out or just trying to do, be present or mindfulness. And then lately I've been doing yoga myself. So it's like all these other like positive benefits that have been wrapped into my schedule without having school. Like even though school wasn't like stressful for me, like there were points where it was stressful, but I was handling it. I was just like, you know, this is what I signed up for. So I just got to get it done. And, right. um, but your body is, is registering that stress in HRV basically, which is the parasympathetic, yeah. the parasympathetic nervous system activating when you're not even realizing it's like that invisible measure of like, how's your body responding to things that you're doing to it without you even knowing it, which I thought yeah. is, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. Cause I, I mean, I think I'm pretty pretty good at managing stress but i have noticed i've only had the aura ring on for about i don't know a little over a week okay um but it's so i'm starting to build that data and it's interesting to see because i only have my kids yes half of the time and the difference between when it's just me and granted i'm still communicating with them but mm-hmm. i'm not like in charge of their day-to-day like you know, in like their space what, yeah what it is when they're with me mm-hmm. and the data between the two it's it's pretty fascinating because yeah. i think i'm i can't i'm handling it and i'm i don't feel like super stressed out yep. or anything but my hrv is definitely different and my sleep is different <laughs> so it's it's funny it's, it's yeah it's an interesting observation i just think it helps not build- that i trade it i, I mean right <laughs> you know. i mean it's i think it's just helping build awareness like if we yeah. had, if I had like a, a singular word to describe like all the things that I've done with like compete to create or just exploring this thing that is like the mind body connection stuff, it's like just building awareness for your body and how do you feel in the yes. moment to moment, and then how do you nudge yourself in in the d- correct direction, you know, to right. to to not be as elevated in whatever like area you're in, right? Like if you're over elevated for like a presentation at work or you got to do something for school, like you know 
getting... Yeah, see, I think that's an interesting thing because none of this data was available for me when I was your age. No. Right? Or, <laughs> I mean, like, five years ago, wearables up. were just like a barely a thing with like Fitbit. Yeah, and even just mindset training, like I played sports my whole life. Oh, and I yeah. don't think I ever had a coach that talked about like a physical response to nervousness to like... I mean, what do you feel in your yeah, body? Yeah, that's a really good you know? point. And how do you respond <laughs> to that? Like everything was just straight up physical and, yeah. you know, push as hard as you More can. More hustle, right? Yes, absolutely <laughs> based on hustle and attitude, you know, sure that, you know, you want to be a coachable kid and I always had that in me, but you didn't, like the, the, there was no mental component and I always wonder now, like I wish I would have known this stuff Man, that's earlier. that's so strange. I, I never even... That. Yeah, I never even connected that dot. And I, I don't coach them technically at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they all know way. Three of them are volleyball players. One of them's more of a water kid. My youngest is more of a water kid. But um, I never coached them. I mean, I coached them when they were really young, like you know, basic A Y S O, like just learning how to play. But they all have way more knowledge now on volleyball than I ever did. Um, and so I don't coach them technically at all. But I talk to them about you know, mindset and mental all of the time. Because I think that what you learn at that age playing sports is the same stuff that you're going to take out into life. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're teachable moments. It's like that training that they get from sports is what they're going to get. I, I honestly think it's probably the biggest payoff from playing youth sports. Mm -hmm. You know, there are very few people that go out and, and have professional sports careers. But <laughs> what you learn you know, in those moments of like, you know, when the chips are down or where, you know, when you have to work a little harder, that's the stuff that I want them to yeah, take. The mental fortitude, sports. like what yes. can you, can you exactly. do? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. I think that's really important. Like just having, like, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about like my trajectory growing up. Like why, why do I think the way I do kind of thing? Right. Or like, where did some of this stuff come from? Because when I yeah. look at like my parents and stuff, it's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like my parents don't have like they're very blue collar workers and just have more than anything, they have like this really high work ethic and drive to push themselves and show up uh -huh. like responsibility wise. And I'm like, that's strange because <laughs> out of everything that I have in me is like kind of this, this push to push myself regardless of what, who's watching kind of thing. Like I, which is so huge because there's such a huge population. And I don't even say, I wouldn't even say just your generation, but mm -hmm. I think so many people are wired for, you know, extrinsic motivation. And like, if they're not getting that pat on the back, if they're mm -hmm. not, somebody's not like noticing right away, then their motivation falls off. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, like as like, soon as like no one's wearing, they just kind of take a break. Yeah. Pull, pull out the cell phone, right? It's so much easier to be distracted now than it was, I mean, even five oh, years sure. ago, six years ago, whenever social media yeah. kind of became a thing. And to get that, like, dopamine hit, you know, from mm -hmm. Instagram, like, we didn't used to have that, but, like, it's that, it's the needing that <laughs> to, to you know, to motivate yourself mm -hmm. versus really feeling that intrinsic motivation of, of you know, the bigger reason. Do you of try why. to instill that in your kids in any way, like limiting social media or do they not have phones? Yes. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, My kids, none of them, they're not, they don't have social media until they go to high school, okay. which I mean, honestly, even then it's still, it's a pretty big thing to manage because I do think that that age of the brain. I mean, these kids are different now, you know, they mm -hmm. are, they are learning, they, their attention spans are shorter. Um, you know, they're used to the dopamine hit. The, mm -hmm. the, they, they don't, it's harder for them to have conversations, long, meaningful conversations, you know, because everything is quick and yeah, everything's bite-sized and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love podcasts. Like, cause I think these kind of conversations, I mean, we've only been, we've talking for about a half hour already, but like, I just think these are the kind of conversations that people for like, it's a lost art in many oh, ways. Oh, absolutely. And I always, you know, that was another reason I started my blog. Cause I always, wanted to find a journal from someone mm -hmm. in a generation past in my family just to kind of like know what it was like and where did oh I my come God. from and what were their thoughts. <laughs> yes. And I thought, well, if I can't find one, at least I could create one. I don't think my kids read my blog today, but I promise you when they're 40, they will they'll be like, oh, that's what she was thinking. Oh, yeah. like, and that inspires me to have something for them that I wish I would have had from, mm -hmm. you know, a generation or two ago. I, I would, and, um, yeah. I, 
I have a little like, this is like one of the side projects that I keep thinking about all the time. And it's, it's more of like a family heirloom kind of thing, but having like an audio, like an audio documentary of everyone in your family. And it's oh, like, it's awesome. like a personal podcast. Think of it that way. And then you just have all these audio logs where your grandfather or grandparents tell, talk about their lives unadulterated. They just talk about whatever it was. And then, you know, obviously if it's like, stuff that your kids shouldn't hear you wait until they're 18 or so to hear sure. it but then like you have this instead of having just a photo album and your parents telling you about this is your grandfather and i remember stories about your grandfather you get to hear about the actual stories from that, that parent idea. you know yeah. and I, I think we can kind of do this if we scaled it upwards you can kind of create this archive of life of what it was like for people to see the different time periods right because in even in my parents' well, generation, is like their my dad was born in fifty seven. So there's like a lot of time that's changed in that fifty sixty three sure. years. It'd be interesting because the other thing is it's it's if you notice generations past. Um, I mean, I my grandparents are gone now, mm -hmm. but um, you know, the, to be honest, that would be the journal that I wish I had found and right. they were born in 1917 exactly and came all the way through world war ii and that generation did not talk about themselves mm -hmm. or their family histories and i'm such a believer now that that all of the good and the bad stuff that happens to us we need to talk about yes because absolutely. it's that generational learning to me that that brings self-awareness that stops us from bad patterns that we pass down through generations of families, mm -hmm. you know, and all of the things that can come from internal pain that hasn't been voiced, you know, we get to those numbing mechanisms. We, we, the people, you know, that that's to me, you get to alcoholism and families, you get to, you know, just, just running from the, your story mm -hmm. when really, when we tell our stories, people end up more often than not, you end up seeing someone that says, me too instead of yeah oh, i can't believe you did that it's you know i mean it's it more... was a huge lesson for me in my divorce because i was incredibly ashamed of it at first mm -hmm. and the more i would tell that story it, it took me a while to say to, to be able to talk out loud about it and as i opened up i really ran into more people that i didn't know they were on their second marriage or that they had you know, I, I just, I, I thought it was such a shameful thing at first. And now mm -hmm. I can talk to people about relationships and I've learned so much about being open and, you know, showing up as you are and letting people, you know, accept, or if they don't want to letting that be their, their problem and not mine, yeah. you know? So, and more often than not, you find people are pretty open and accepting. So yeah, I think, I think it's like, it's very much in the same vein as like stigma around mental health or mental illness in general, absolutely. where, where, where people have this preconceived notion of like, oh, you failed, right? Like you let the relationship yes. fail when in reality, that's just cutting it to black or white, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when you're dealing with two people, there's a lot more going on than just, you know, to stay together or stay, not to stay together. And it's. Mm -hmm it's almost not fair to the person to put your perception, right? Like a lot of times I think what people don't realize is we put our perception of how we should be dealing with a certain situation or would have dealt with a situation. You know, a lot of times like, well, I'd never do that kind of thing is like the, the yeah, knee jerk never, reaction. Right. And, and so often we haven't been in that, in that person's shoes. Exactly. You know? and, and it's hard to, but that's why I think like one of the best things people can do is just be observant. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I find that the most interesting people in the world are incredibly observant and not super opinionated. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I think, you know, to know what we believe is important, but I also think that, you know, when we observe other people and, and try to, you know, try to step into their shoes. It's that it's just, it's breeding that, you know, that empathetic gene yeah. and just saying, and teaching people like, you know, you really don't know what people are going through and what you see on the outside is probably 1% of what's really. <laughs> oh my God. On. Yeah. There's a really cool quote about this. It's like, everyone's fighting a battle inside their head that you know nothing about, you know, absolutely. And it, absolutely. It's just so, I think it's such one of those powerful things about having longer conversations with people is you realize that, oh, we're not as different as I thought we were on the surface. And we can yes. learn from each other by sharing the struggles that we have. And instead yes. of 
being ashamed of those things that, you know, the, one of the cornerstones of this podcast that came out accidentally is called, it's exploring the precarity of human experience, which is basically just exploring life because everything we deal with, or rather learning to deal with the things that are the curveballs of life is what makes for what your life is all about, right? <laughs> it's so true. And I mean, and that's, and you know, that we don't grow when, if we don't go through mm-hmm. The struggle, you know what I mean? If we try to avoid the struggle, it becomes a very small, boring life. Right. You know. I mean, just looking yeah. at your bio, it's like it's just struggle after struggle and all the different little parts of your your own little yeah. personal journey. And yet, and yet I always felt like, and it, I, I don't know why I was kind of born with this feeling. Like I remember watching the news when I was like seven years old and watching, you know, the Gaza Strip and, and literally sitting in, in California going, how am I so lucky that I was born in California? <laughs> like, and I, I've always had that feeling like nothing bad. Mm-hmm. When I, growing up, I mean, I had a pretty charmed life. I have two wonderful parents who love me. They're still married. Like I didn't have a lot of strife growing up. And yeah. I used to feel like, gosh, am I tough enough? What if something bad happens to me? Am I going to be able to handle it? And then my adult life, you know, it's just gotten interesting, and I guess that's the way life is. You know, I mean, as we as we go on, we we experience more. But honestly, that's you know, when my son fell in the pool, that was the first moment that I felt like I got super tested mm-hmm. and knew from that very moment that I was going to be okay. And even though I got a really lucky lucky break because mm-hmm. I could have lost him and that I, I, I haven't had to walk down that path. And I have a huge amount of empathy for parents who have, cause I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. But I knew in that moment between my faith and the way that I responded to tragedy and, and how I could, you know, move in the moment and, and react and help him that I was stronger than I thought. And it was the worst moment of my life, but I will say that that was like, that was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I I built a huge amount of confidence in that moment that I I could handle harder things, you know, and not that you, you don't ever wish those moments on anybody, but to me, that was a turning point and it's the worst moment of my life. So, you know, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's like, it's like a lot of times what Dr. Mike says is like sometimes, pain is the trigger for making a change, right? Right. Like you have to have something and say, I don't want to ever feel that again. Yeah. And then, and then that becomes the catalyst for a whole new avenue of growth that you wouldn't have otherwise taken seriously. And, you know, having yeah. having a an event that is, you know, possibly losing a child is nothing I can actually relate to, but I can understand it, you know, to some yeah. degree. But I mean, to, to be able to bounce back from that and to say you're okay just kind of shows how much work you've put into externalizing that experience, you know, and yes. saying, saying, here's what it was. It didn't go as bad as it could have been. And I'm grateful for that. But now I know that I'm prepared for what comes next. Yeah. You know, and, and knowing that you have to walk through something like I, I dealt with years of, of like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I never had it diagnosed, but mm-hmm. I, I, I have seen therapists and I know that like the, when I read the list of what PTSD is like that, that, the out of body experience that you can have, you know, in given situations, like I couldn't have them around a pool. I couldn't have like, and I did, I mean, I, I had to, I had to be around a pool. I had other kids I had, but I mean there, or, or I hear a siren and I'll worry about where my kids are, or what they're doing. And it'll, it'll, it just, it like, you know, kind of snaps in your brain. So, I mean, you do, you, it's not like all of a sudden you're just okay, but yeah. you walk, you know, you walk through it and you figure out how to calm yourself and, you know, yoga has been huge for me on that because I started yoga thinking that I was going to help my body where I have some injuries, you know, mm-hmm. and, and strengthen my body in certain ways. And I didn't realize that it was the power of breath that would absolutely teach me how to calm my nervous system yeah. in a way that I had never in my entire life done. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting. It leads us down certain paths. And if we just keep following them and we're self-aware enough to realize what's going on and then be brave enough to just keep following that path rather than trying to make ourselves feel better in the moment. You know, it, 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 yeah. it to be a pretty, it, it's a pretty interesting knowledgeable path that mm-hmm. makes life so much better, so much better. 
Yeah, I think calming the, you know, the instant gratification monkey in our brains and saying, I'm going to orient for the long game here and like try to do things for myself that I think for a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, it's more of like, sure, this sounds selfish, like I'm doing it for me. But if I can figure myself out, then the those around me, be it work, school, children, all of the above, they reap the benefits of what I'm able to do because not only do you perform better in what you care about, but you also are become this example for those around you without even realizing it. Absolutely. And it, and it's, and it's, and I, I do think the word authentic is so overused these days, but I'm not coming <laughs> up with a better one. Um, it, it, when you're doing what is naturally you mm-hmm. and not trying to conform to what other one, somebody else thinks you should be or what your family thinks you should yeah. be, you, you attract that right tribe, you know, and those right people around you. And then everybody benefits and mm-hmm. everything works better, you know, and, and we're not trying to fit ourselves into some <laughs> you know. square peg in a round hole. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, which I think, I mean, and that's what's so interesting about what you're doing. I mean, someone could say, you know, you've got the, you've got an engineering brain, like mm-hmm. what are you doing out exploring philosophy and <laughs> you know life and being curious the way you are if you let someone put you in that yeah in that box, well you know look I mean, what you'd be missing out on it's funny i think that's a quirk of my personality too because i hate labels like when yeah. when i picked a degree it was the hardest decision of my life because i didn't know like i had all these different interests growing up and i've always been obsessed with science broadly speaking um but I also have this practicality bend in, in a lot of what I do. Like if, if something is, doesn't have a use for me, then I don't see why I should try to waste my time to mm-hmm. understand it. Like, I think it's cool to go like deep into theoretical planes and stuff like that. But like, I love, I would love more to pull that theoretical stuff and say, how does that affect me? Or how can yeah. I use that to make the world better? And so picking a degree was like the hardest thing ever because of that self-limiting Basically, like I didn't want to box myself in. Um, uh-huh. And so I've, I've, what I would say today is, is regardless of what kind of engineering degree you have or whatever degree you do have. What, yeah, absolutely. Um, all it does for you is it provides you a framework to look at the world. Like you have those old school lenses where you could slide the different things over your eyes and it makes the diff- world different colors or filters. That's kind of what I view most of the things you do. Like you can look at the world in different lenses. And for me, I kind of use the engineering lens to be able to pick and choose different lenses to look at the world, you know, to solve problems, broadly speaking. It's a problem solving lens. Yeah. Yes. And and so that's kind of why I think that's what I gain most from being an engineer is it allows me to look at the world and look at them as problems and then look at them as systems to try and understand and like deconstruct and then make them better so that other people can follow them rather than making them overly complex and say, well, I don't really know where to start because this is just, you know, a tangled mess. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, I it's funny you say that because I, I was an ag business major for, at mm-hmm. Cal Poly. Um, my family's farming background. It has okay. nothing to do with where I live, <laughs> what I do today. But I followed that because I'm kind of a traditional person. I knew what I knew and I knew, you know, I was like grateful for where I came from. Mm-hmm. And then this blog I wrote this last weekend had everything to do with soil science and relating oh, that so to cool. personalities. And, I, I developed this whole thing in my head, which, you know, I mean, as a, as a writer, you're kind of an artist mm-hmm. and can, you know, I see a lot of things in metaphor. Painting the and, picture for the reader, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, but it's, it's, a, it's basically a stretch on, you know, where I came from, what I majored in. Mm-hmm. And yet on the outside you go, you know, none of this has anything to do with any of that. Yeah. But, Somehow it always, you know, it comes back to what's a part of you. Yeah. You never know where things are like where you read something or where something comes from. It's going to, it's like planting a seed to some degree. And absolutely. I I was able to actually reach out to, have you ever read the book Omnivore's Dilemma? No, I have not. So it's awesome. It's written by Michael Pollan. So it's it's a fantastic book, but I was able to get one of the guys who owns Polyface Farms. Uh, on the podcast a couple of months ago and we had an awesome conversation about how his like it's like a beyond organic type farm where he manages the soil and the grass pastures and then rotates the cows around his pastures without using pesticides and insecticides and then uses like the the chickens and all that stuff to kind of 
cleanup crew basically it's this really cool idea yeah, no, I, it takes a lot of management but it's absolutely possible. yeah it's energy or management intensive uh livestock or something i forget the name of the book that like is the foundational theory of this thing but it's like fascinating and i it's as you were talking about so culture i just remembered that and then thought something you'd probably fan, find that book awesome and um, just yeah eye-opening I'll check that out for sure um i've heard him speak um I think it was at Wisdom 2.0 in San Francisco okay. last year. But he, yeah, he's interesting. Yeah. Um, so from here, I think it would be cool is like if you, because you were talking about so many different things of where we got I our know. own knowledge and it's bouncing around. <laughs> I think it would be cool is if you had any like books that you either gifted or places you get information from that you find valuable or any specific podcast episodes would even be cool because there's not a lot of people that I actually talk to who are just as into podcasts as I am. Yeah, so the, one of the, the, the books that I've gifted the most um, in the last year, because I've given, I, I usually I usually put, pick a book or two a year and mm-hmm. give those as gifts across the board. Um, and I have a million books in my house too. So um, this past year I've been giving um, the younger graduates in my life, um, Abby Wambach's book called Wolfpack. And I've, I've given it to, to the my daughter graduated last year, so she had a lot of girlfriends, and I gave it all to them. Um, and it's just great life lessons about, you know, how to um, be a team player, be be an individual, uh, or be an original, but still be a team player and support people through, you know, where you know where they're coming from, and um, how to go out with like a collaborative um, view on life, and instead of using competition as something that like, you know, builds walls between us, but just instead using competition, kind of the compete to create theory of like how to, how to collaborate and still be a, com- a competitor in life. So, um, that book, her book is awesome and it's a, it's a quick little read. Cool. Um, but it's, it's, it's great. And then, um, uh, Hallelujah Anyway by Anne Lamott is another one of my favorites that I've given to some older people because uh, she's just an incredibly gifted writer. She writes about like the mundane of life in the most beautiful <laughs> way. Like it's just you can just get lost in like her simple little stories. But she mm-hmm. always Hallelujah Anyway is about how you know basically all the good things that come from the crap that we have to go through, you know. And so it's a good one for to lift people up if they're struggling or just to learn, you know, teach, you know, it's, it's the optimist lens basically. Um, so those two are my favorites. Um, I'm also a water person, huge Mm -hmm. water person. And there's a book called Grayson. Um, that's another little easy read, but it's about a swimmer who, um, and she swims the coast. That's pretty close to where I, where I live. Oh, that's cool. Seal beach to, um, I know she swam a couple of miles and she found a baby gray whale that had lost its mother. And she wrote a little book about how she followed this baby gray whale and then basically led this baby gray whale back to her mother. Wow. It's incredible. (laughs) It's just like, it's a little book. Like I I read it in one sitting, Mm -hmm. but it's just like such a hopeful little story. And I just, I love it. So I've given that one a lot. Um, Those are probably my top three. And I, I, that's kind of the creative side of me. I I mean, I read some heady books, but when it comes to gift giving, I usually am, am much more, I, I use my creative side a yeah. little more. That makes sense. So, I like that yeah. a lot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like to do, at least for uh, Christmas time, is I try to get a book for all of my friends, even though none of them are as much of a reader as I, as I am. Uh-huh. But I try to find a book that I think they'll enjoy regardless. Whether or not sure. they even read it, because it's like the point of it. It's a gift that keeps on giving. So yeah, I love to give books. There's actually <laughs> one um, that I'm just, I'm about halfway through, and I just got it last week. Um, it's uh, Malcolm Gladwell's new book called um, Talking to Strangers. Yes. Yeah, I just saw oh, that too. Gosh. Okay, it's really, really good. And um, that might be my graduation book cool. for because my son is graduating this year, and I was thinking about it. And it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, another take on how do we listen to each other mm-hmm. and how do we, how do we understand where people are coming from realizing that we generally speaking don't know where people are coming from. And then he, he walks you through history 
I mean, wow. all the way back to World War II of how, you know, people were dealing with Hitler and Castro and all these different, like, major historical mm-hmm. events that are based in not understanding each other, you know, and who and who took the time to understand and then how those things resulted. And I haven't finished the book yet, but that's it's, awesome. It's really good. I'll have so to get far. that one probably. Cause yeah. I keep seeing that one. I'm like, that sounds like something that's going to help me make, be better at Absolutely. all of this stuff. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really good one. Michael uh, Gladwell is one of those prolific writers. Almost anything he writes is just off the yeah. charts. <laughs> so, so good. I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, and then as far as podcasts go, I kind of like, I go between, uh, like I said, Finding Mastery is my number one. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've listened to most every single one of those. <laughs> my favorite one lately has been Krista Scott Dixon. Yep. Um, that was a really then, good one. Uh, there's one that goes way back. Oh, gosh, I'm going to blank on the lady's name right now. It's called Wayfinding. Um, oh, my gosh. She's incredibly interesting. But the podcast is called Wayfinding. Okay. I'm blanking on her name because she is um, – she was trained to uh she she sails and without any um like navigational equipment oh wow she's she and she's like gone to different areas of the world Mm -hmm. and lived amongst the people and what she learns from the cultures and like that's it it, it's fascinating but it was a couple (laughs) years ago it's it's been i can't believe i just can't remember her name right now but wayfinding look it up it's so good will do Um, i'll have links for all these things that you're mentioning in in the show notes once it goes live Uh, so and then um i'm a big fan of uh oprah's super soul conversations she talks to some really interesting people um and i mean i listen to anything like one i posted recently was all about you know finding uh, like women dealing with feeling beautiful or if you are always beautiful, like as an aging process, what happens in the aging process? Like how do we find our value? You know, if you've been used to getting attention because you're attractive and then you get older Mm -hmm. and she talks to like Sybil Shepard and, and, and people, you know, that were a a couple different actresses and models that were Bo Derek people from the, like 30, 40 years ago. And then what their process has been like, you know, finding meaning and how, you know, beauty is so much more than skin deep. And mm-hmm. I think that's just a really important thing out there right now. Um, you know, just valuing the deeper things in life. Yeah. It's on the surface. It's, it's really interesting to me see, to see like this new idea or paradigm of like going deep, like the an appreciation for depth. Like yeah. we're more complex, you know, than, than what meets the eye, so to speak. And, there's like the subset of people and we see them now with all the different like groups that we have like for compete to create and things like that. There's like almost a thousand of us that are in there. You know, it's like all of these people spread out all over the world that are kind of like enjoy th- this stuff, right? This right. inner world and like, Oh wait, we can actually kind of like nudge it along or like figure it out to some degree. And I think, well, and it's interesting. I do think there's a, there's a, a much more um, awakened population out there. And mm-hmm. if you, if you look for it, I find it all the time. You can, <laughs> tell, you can tell when someone wants to have a conversation and mm-hmm. that ends up being the only, you know, that's where kind of where I've decided I want to sit. Like I mm-hmm. am terrible at small talk. <laughs> I don't love big groups. Like I, that situation in Seattle was so awesome because there were only what, like 20 of us. Yeah, it was like 20 of us. Yeah, right? total. Um, I had no idea going into it. I'm like, I don't know if there's going to be 200 people or I had no idea. Yeah, I, had, I, was I had no idea so going to it. I was pleasantly surprised that it was that smaller mm-hmm. scene because I do think we, I just love covering that more expansive ground and running deeper. And I think mm-hmm. when you get into those bigger situations, that's when I have a harder time feeling like I make an impact. Yeah. Well, it feels like milk so, toast, right? Because then you're just talking yeah. about like your simple things, like what do you do for your job or what do you, exactly. like, do you want to just talking about the kids and the weather and like, oh yeah, I got this negative thing that happened to me or I've been dealing with. Right. And it, it, it does, it gets old fast and it, it just, yeah, I, I've, I feel like as, and I don't know if it's an aging thing or as time goes on, like I just am so much more careful about how I spend my time and really wanting to make every moment be so much more mm-hmm. impactful and, and, you know, mean something to me and hopefully mean something to the people that I'm interacting with. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something to do with like the, this proclivity that, 
we have as people that we want that extra depth, right? The the zest of life, as you'd say. And my my friend, we were just talking about like social media the other day. And he was talking about like we use dating apps as kind of like the the, Uh the low hanging fruit of it. And he's like, you know, people don't know how to talk to each other now. Like now you can like send the same message to 30 people. And just by odds, one of those people is going to reply to you. But then say one of those people, you actually start like go meet them in person. He's like, but the unfortunate thing is you can't copy and copy and paste a conversation. And I started laughing because I was like, oh, my God. It's so true. It's so true because it's like this thing that we all forgot. Like, oh, wait, yeah, we can talk to a whole bunch of people and make connections in quotes. But like actually getting in front of someone and trying to figure them out or like get to know them is like a whole different skill set that people have just kind of glossed over. And, yeah, and I just I don't know. I it makes me laugh. The gener- the, that's when you say like my kids' generation, you know, learning to be social from social media, like that's a huge challenge, mm-hmm. right? Kids don't even. I mean, I don't know, dating wise, like you, what teenagers are doing, but they don't they, like just between texting and Snapchat and right, and just all of the things, that, you know, turning that into a face to face conversation. You know, or even a phone conversation. You know, they don't talk on the phone. I don't even know how many people even talk on the phone anymore. It's rare for me to, like, do phone calls. Like, there's a couple people here and there, but it's not, like, long phone calls. For sure. And, and I, I, you know, I I teach my kids. I'm like, you know, someone calls, like, you answer the phone and you talk to them. Mm -hmm. And then it it, it throws them off. (laughs) Although my oldest daughter, she loves to talk on the phone. Okay. She will, and she's 19, but... Okay, so she's so, right on the edge of that. The yeah, whole. she's on the edge of that bubble of, of when social media was just taking off, you know? Yeah. And I did find it easier to manage them than my second mm-hmm. two. Because yeah. it's, it's like, it took off like wildfire, right? Yeah, I mean, like it feels weird for me because I remember like in elementary school, like technology had kind of started coming to the schools. Like we had computers and PowerPoint a little bit in like elementary school. Sure. And then my parents, like going back to like them being blue collars, they didn't have technology. Like they didn't really, uh-huh. they weren't plugged into it. And we, like me and my brother were the ones who were like, we should get a computer. Cause I want to play video games and stuff like that. And then it kind of evolved from there of like, well, we need cell phones now, but I didn't get like a cell phone. I don't think until I was a senior in high school, if that, and I mean, even then I really didn't use it all that much. Sure. So, so it was kind of like, the technology and like my adoption into the technology has kind of mirrored the, like how it's proliferated through society. So I feel like I can kind of step away from it and be like, Oh yeah, I know what it's like to not have it to some degree. Cause I still remember like having to call my friend's house and be like, can I talk to you so-and-so right. or like through the and parents? That's, that's completely lost art. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, it's so interesting. Yeah. I think that's why I harp on it so much is because I think it's one of these things that if, or at least for me, it feels like this thing that if we don't learn how to manage it, like personally manage it, then you're going to like, that's going to differentiate you between a successful individual and not to some degrees. Like if you can make it work for you. <laughs> yeah, it, no, absolutely. And it's setting those, you know, setting, setting boundaries and, mm-hmm. and, and even realizing like the, the toll it has like on our own emotional regulation, right? And yes. like being able to delay gratification or not react, um, you know, super emotionally when something comes at us. But like, mm-hmm. you know, taking that time. And I think the more we have the phone in our hand, the phone in our face, it, 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 it chips away. And if you never had that, you know, because that's something we, we learn as we're growing up. If mm-hmm. you never had to learn that without a phone and that, and that constant communication and that constant input of information, it's a lot harder to, to, to master emotional regulation. Absolutely. These kids than it was for, for me or even for you. Yeah. Like, you I know? Mean, it's funny because it's like people can't sit alone with themselves, right? Like if you put them in a room. Yeah, and it's one, I know. And it's one of my favorite things in the world. Like <laughs> I, I, lo- I mean, solitude for me, mm-hmm. you know, there can, there can be a point. I, I kind of know my balance, but right. I value that so huge. I mean, maybe it's having four kids, but I've always <laughs> that quiet time, like morning, like, Oh gosh, I, there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. Better. That's, that's like my morning routines on the weekends when I have free time of like nothing to do. I just kind of find a 
comfy spot and I just p- put a book on and I just like re- read a book for a couple hours and just kind of zone out and like nothing else matters, you know, it's like, yeah, I-, I find myself, I've always kind of been introverted, but it's like this weird mix of like, I use introversion to kind of recharge and like reflect on things. Yeah. And then I go back out in the world or like my friends that are closest and like talk about these ideas and bounce them off of people and be like, hey, what do you think about these things? Because it's like me refining them, you know, and being right. like, how do you think about them? Cause like, I'll, these, you know, these have been in my head this whole time. Now it's like turn to let them play. <laughs> yeah. With the conversation. But yeah, it, it definitely is a, it's a back and forth. And I, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't want to be alone all the time, but I, definitely when I'm out in the world, know my limit and yeah. go, okay, it's time to, it's time to retreat. Like mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I need, I need some time. Yeah. Bigger groups definitely so. burn me out. Like having, yeah. even the Seattle trip was kind of one of those things that by the end of that day, like I didn't realize how tired I was until I got sure. back to the hotel room and woke up the next morning. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> it took it out of you. Yeah, for sure. It does. I mean, your brain's working the whole time. You're yeah. reading people. You're, I mean, and then the, the big evening event like it's it's a lot it was a long day that was for sure yeah yeah Um, i couldn't live i would not that's not a desire of mine to live in that in that world in that that high-paced environment of like always always on i guess to some degree yes um i think it'd be cool too like we're it's almost about to hit an hour so the 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 cool thing would be either personal philosophy like if you figured it out since then Uh uh-huh um that'd be cool to share or just any other like closing thoughts or ideas. I mean, we've said so much. I don't even need to. Yeah, really- <laughs> no, I know. And I, I, I tend, I have a tendency. I'm, I thanks for the conversation. It's one of my favorite things <laughs> is just to keep, you know, to go on about the way I see the world. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you listening. Absolutely. Um, but you know, the biggest thing I think I identified in that personal philosophy, um, part of, uh, the compete to create event was, um, when Nicole came back to our table and we were going over, I don't have my book with me right mm-hmm. now, but I, I had written something out and uh, she said, and, and part of it was all about how much I value connection um, in mm-hmm. the world. And I, I truly believe like people are introvert, extrovert, you know, whatever our life experience, like we are meant to be connected to each other. Right. And it, it, you know, it's what makes the world go around. It lights us up. It creates meaning in our day. And she said, man, when you said the word connection, like your whole face lit up. (laughs) And I was like, that's it. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. so whatever I do, I'm always trying to connect one-on-one with whoever I'm talking to, you know? And I think that's, I, you know, eye contact, I think that's smiling and, you know, it's, it's definitely the art of listening. And, you know, I love to, you know, part of coaching is just sitting and listening and figuring out, how to get someone from point A to point B and what's getting in their way. And that, you know, that connection that can be born out of that is, is what I'm all about. So couldn't have been more well said. (laughs) Yeah. I do it with my kids. I do it with, you know, any conversation I try to have in the day and that's, you know, that's what gives my life meaning. So I'm just, I'm just seeking that all the time. That's awesome. And I think you're definitely doing the right thing. <laughs> like, Thank you. <laughs> just just by, I mean, you reached out to me after, you know, being at Seattle. Yeah, and, we had that awesome conversation right at the end of the night. And yeah. I was probably feeling like I was pretty tired at that point, too. <laughs> I was like, gosh, it felt like there were so many faces around and right. people to talk to. And we, I could tell, like, we were having a great conversation. But, you know, there's just it, that, that environment is not yeah. at the end of a day like that. I was like, okay, there's more to this. So, yeah, thank you for following up. Of course. I, I mean, it, that was part of the reason for me to go is just like meeting all these people. Like now that I'm done with formalized education, as I'll call it, yeah. I I wanted to use like that trip and hopefully more like it in the future to facilitate growth beyond credentialized education because yeah. uh, me and the school system don't see eye to eye. Uh, for, oh, amen to that. For, we could have for, a whole conversation. Yeah, for on for one, different reasons, and I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll spare my soapbox for now. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe me, I would be super interested. You should either either do one on that um, or or write something about that. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I hear you on that one with I mean, my that's, youngest. That's why my school them. or why this whole experiment that is feeding curiosity kind of exists is kind of try to create a blueprint for people to learn in a different yeah. way outside of what the school says you should be learning or how you should be learning because Absolutely. we don't we don't really talk about that kind of stuff and you know 
And it doesn't, you yeah. know, staying in your own lane isn't really important. Isn't, isn't the point. <laughs> no, I totally agree and with so, you. Oh, and I, okay. I just remember the name of the podcast. Yeah, go ahead. Wayfinding. Her name is Elizabeth Lindsay. Elizabeth Lindsay. Okay, cool. Yes. So you can find it, but she's amazing. Awesome. Well, All right. that is just over yeah. an hour already. Time flies. Okay. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. And All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's, just, that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.